this is Pentecost Sunday. And this is the Sunday that celebrates the inception of the New Testament church. Now you notice I didn't say it's the Sunday that we celebrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it is, it is that. But it's also the Sunday we celebrate the inception of what God's design for the New Testament church is. Now, when Jesus was uh, talking about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he called it this. He said that I'm going to be releasing the promise of the Father. That uh, this was the Father's heart. That when Jesus went to, to be seated at the right hand of the Father with God, the Bible tells us, and I'll say this in a moment, that he would not leave us as orphans but that he would leave an advocate, somebody just like the original. And so what he was saying was, is although Jesus is going to be with the Father, he's not leaving us as orphans, but he's giving us the Spirit of God to empower us to do the work of the ministry. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that even with John baptizing us in water, recognizing that new life and relationship with you, John said there would be one that comes after me that baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So today, Father, it's my heart, whether you're watching online or you're in person here in the sanctuary, that this would be a day of revelation. This would be a day to say yes. This would be a day for a fresh impartation of the Spirit of God to come upon each person who is listening or watching. Father, I pray, God, that we would grasp the concept for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of our lives for the kingdom. And Lord God, today, just open hearts. We sang a song that said our arms are open wide today. Let our hearts be open wide. Let our minds be able to comprehend. And let us walk out in the power and the gifting of your spirit. And Father, we just give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 44, says this. And he said to them, These are the words which I speak to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding. Wow, these guys had been with him for a long time, amen. They had walked through some stuff with Jesus. They had seen some incredible things. But even in this passage, toward the end of his time on earth, he says this, that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the, the, the scriptures. How many of you uh, in that video clip last week when Billy Graham said, this is the word of God, and it says things that I might not understand, that yeah. you might ask me questions and I might not have the answer for you, but I have decided by faith that this is the truth of God's word. This is the, uh, uh, the words of life that he's given us to live by. And, and this is what Jesus is saying here. I'm, I, I want to open their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, this is such an important fact. Because to totally grasp what God had in store for us as a New Testament church and us as believers individually, we must grasp the concept and the place of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives. It's such a good thing that God has done. He's such an amazing God, a loving God, a caring God, a God of direction and a God of provision that he is going to give us something that we saw the power of operate in Jesus, but now he's going to turn that over to us. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend what he's getting ready to say to them. And in verse 46, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So he's coming out and saying, We need to have an evangelistic thrust. What, what our job is, I mean, he didn't mix words. This was a, a job description that every Christian, if you want to know what your job description is, this is it. This is it. Thus it is written. And thus it was necessary for him to die for this purpose, that the remission, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And in verse 48, he says, And you are witnesses of these things. Look at 49. Behold. Everybody say, Behold. behold. Something amazing always happens after we're called to behold something in the Scripture. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What is the promise that Jesus is talking about? Well, we're going to flesh that out in the scriptures today, but I want to make a, a key point. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3, because this is, this is a significant point about the Holy Spirit. And when people want to wonder or decide, is this really what God has for me, or... Is this uh, uh, real? Is the Holy Spirit real? Is, is what the Bible says, is, is it important? Well, I, I want you to understand, it's not only just real, but it's extremely important. Extremely important. You've heard me say this multiple times, that the most argued about part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit's function is. The, the most untalked about part of the Trinity is the talking about the purpose and the provision of the Holy Spirit. But we cannot, we cannot function efficiently in the purpose of the New Testament church without, oh, you're going to love this. You, you're going to love this message by the end of it. You, you can't function properly in the placement of the New Testament church without the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the controversy is always this, okay? So we know when we have water baptism, when we know when uh, we say yes to Jesus, is the Holy Spirit, does it come upon us? And I say yes, okay? I say yes. In John uh, chapter 20, you don't have to flip to this, Maddie. In John 20, 22, write that down. That's where the, the Jesus, when he had the disciples there, before the Holy Spirit was released... It said he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was the same act that God did when in Genesis 2-7, when the Bible says that, that, that Jesus or God breathed life into Adam. Okay, So this, 
occurrence is the same thing. But there's a difference in what the baptism is and with what the breath is. When Jesus breathed life on them, he was doing a New Testament uh, proposition of what happened in uh, Genesis 2 to Adam. When, when God breathed life, that, that, that's called that the breath of life came upon them. This was the new covenant life that he was breathing upon them. But as you'll see coming up here, it's perfectly clear that the fulfillment of the baptism could not take place until Jesus was fully glorified and he was with his father. That's why in Luke chapter 22, man, I am just going off script here so bad, it's not even funny, but this is my passion. This is, this is my passion if, that you understand the placement of the Holy Spirit. When we take communion and we do it through the concept of Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22 in Jesus' words at the Last Supper, he says, I've got an amazing passion to get to the cross. The actual words say, it's my fervent desire to go and face what I have to face, to face death, to give my body in the way that I'm going to give it because I know when I do that, Something so amazing is going to be released to you. He has said in other places that I got to go. If I stay here, you, it will not be benefited from me being here longer than I'm supposed to be. And I will give you something. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says, Indeed, these are John the Baptist's words, Indeed, I baptize you with water into repentance. That's our experience of salvation. When we go into water baptism and we go under the water, that's our recognition of Jesus' death. When we come out of the water, it's our recognition of his resurrection. And there's something amazingly powerful. That's in Romans 6. There's amazing power in water baptism because it says we are fully identifying ourselves with every part of the truth of what this is. Now, we know water baptism is totally significant. Why? Because Jesus did it. If Jesus did it, I want it. Amen? If Jesus was water baptized, I want to be water baptized. And so, that was John's function. He was the one who was preparing the way for everything that was going to occur in and through the life of Jesus. In and through bringing repentance and salvation into the lives of those who were coming to find out just how incredible that uh, Jesus was going to be. And it says, he baptizes with water under the place of repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I am. And that's why I said in my prayer time, that John the Baptist said, I must decrease. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's time for you to decrease a little. Amen? It's time for you to decrease just a little. Okay? Why? Because when you purpose to decrease, God will increase in you. So John the Baptist knew that my job was so amazing that I had to die to my flesh and get more of Jesus to be able to carry out what my ministry was. I got great news for you. You've got a ministry call like John the Baptist. You might not know it. You might not realize it. It might not have, it might not, it, maybe it hasn't materialized. 
yet to the place that you are going to ultimately be. But when you choose to start decreasing in the things that make you tick and increase in the things that make the kingdom come alive, you'll begin to see that destiny come to pass. And he even goes on to say, he's mightier than I am. His sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. That is so true. And, and then here's the clincher. It says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what Jesus will do. John baptizes with water, but Jesus comes to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let's look at the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost. And let's look at what they did not have, okay? Because when you look at the modern day church, we've got a lot of different things that the, old, or the New Testament church at the beginning didn't have. So when you understand what they didn't have, maybe you'll understand how powerful and significant the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives today and in the role of the New Testament church. First thing they didn't have, they had no buildings to congregate in. Okay? Uh, and, and actually, I'm going to add something to that. Nor did they, you know, I, I have uh, uh, architectural blueprints for this building here. And uh, they looked at those blueprints and then they built all of these different sections of this church. Not only did they not have a building to congregate in, they had no blueprint for what the New Testament church was supposed to look like. They had an idea by watching Jesus. They heard him say in Mark chapter 1 that there's a new day upon us, that there was going to be a new way to do ministry. They heard of all of Jesus' teachings, but quite frankly, they did not have a schematic. They didn't have a blueprint for what it was going to look like. Pretty scary, I would say. The second thing that they did not have, now think about this, they did not have the New Testament. Okay, we read about the New Testament, we have the New Testament, we should be twice as effective as they were, amen? Because we see it. That not only did they not have the New Testament, even better, they were the New Testament. Come on now, these guys were the New Testament. No plan, no building, but they were the New Testament. They were writing and walking and doing the things that were going to bring us to the place of opportunity that we have today. The, first, the, the third thing is, is that they really had no formal education. In other words, there was no professional clergy at that time. Well, you would say, what about the rabbis? Well, the rabbis were going to catch up. These 12 guys were not professional rabbis. They were not ordained ministers. They were ordained apostles by, by Jesus. They were ordained as that, but they didn't go to seminary. They didn't do any of that. How do we know that? Write this down. Acts 4.13, when uh, they were doing their deal, when, when incredible things were happening, there was a group of people that wanted to shut them down and they said, look at these uneducated and untrained men. Look at what they're doing. So even the, the scholars of that day, they recognized these guys got no Bible degree. They got no bachelor's degree from nation to nation Christian university. 
They've got none of that. Unlearned and untrained men, that's how they were recognized. It's the third thing uh, uh, that we see in the formation of the New Testament church. The fourth thing they didn't have anymore was Jesus walking with them. You know, Jesus, in John chapter 13, he starts telling them, boys, this is going to come to an end. There's going to be a day that I'm not going to be walking with you. And he was trying to train them for the day that he would leave. And so major things they did not have. No buildings to congregate in. No blueprint to see what the New Testament church was supposed to be like. They had no New Testament. And so although they were the ones creating the New Testament, they had no formal education, no professional clergy, and they did not have Jesus walking with them any longer. So how did they do it? How did they become so successful with no plan, no education, no formal training? What they had was the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing they had. Jesus knew it was if Jesus thought they needed all of these other things, he would have had them in place for them from the beginning. Would you agree with me? But he knew what they needed more than anything was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That they needed to have an encounter with the promise of the Father. Isn't it interesting? The Father promised the baptism, Jesus released it, and John the Baptist foretold of it. Uh, all of these things were going to happen. Let's look through a couple scripture references that prepare the church for this idea of what was going to happen in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 7. John had a keen insight to this spiritual awareness of what was going to go uh, uh, before him in days following. One of the reasons why I ask people when they get saved is to read the Gospel of John is because of that insight. The way he saw Jesus in a way, his wasn't just all business, his was heartfelt as well. Not that the other ones didn't have a heart for God, but John had a special heart for him. And in verse 37 it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now look at verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, de designating a future event, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because what? Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, one of the things that if you want a hobby of the Bible, go through in every book of the New Testament and just mark what it says about the Spirit of God. It's incredible. It, it's it's uh, more uh, amazing than you could ever imagine the different places in the New Testament where it's talked about, the Holy Spirit is talked about. But we see here it was not yet given. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And in verses, uh, let's start at uh, verse 16. This is what John says. 
And I will pray the Father, this is Jesus talking, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now, the Apostle Paul talks to us about being vessels or containers or vases. Something He's talking about something that's used to put something in. And when we become a New Testament believer, that's what we become. We become a vessel. We become a container. Our pots might be cracked. Our, our, our pots might be imperfect. Your, your vase might be a little off to the right. My vase might be a little off to the left. But in that vase, God has chose to come to you. Think about the idea of that. Think about the starting of the New Testament church. He started it with imperfect men, and he ended their lives in the, in the way that they ended up dying for him and the gospel in the same fashion, giving their lives for what God had called them to do. So in this text, it says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But who knows him? You know him. You know him. How do you know him? Maybe just by faith you know him. And that's enough. That's enough. Because if you walk in faith, allowing God to do uh, what the Spirit wants to do in you, then this relationship will catch up. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. And then this is where the great scripture where he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 again, and let's look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, and he will testify of me. Jesus again talking about what he's going to give. John chapter 16 in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, this is what I was talking about earlier, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is kind of given his final instructions because he wants them to understand the significance of this event. And so Jesus says in Acts 1, 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The promise of the Father. Right, do you grasp the, the significance here? God the Father wants you to have this. God the Son delivers it. And then God the Holy Spirit is living in you. The power of God for the work of the ministry dwells in you. So the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Acts chapter 1, 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Those are his words. Those are in the red. Jesus is confirming his place in this. 
So one of the things that you have to ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit real? Is God wanting to baptize us with the Spirit? Is Jesus the baptizer with the Spirit? And is he calling me to have it? Is he calling me to have it? Therefore, in verse 5, when they, came, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the beauty of Pentecost Sunday coming at the end of three messages on evangelism. Not only has God called us to evangelize, but he has empowered us for the mission. He has given us what we need to do and to stand and to hold fast to what he's called us for in the kingdom. And it comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what happened on the day of Pentecost? And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. In other words, they were in a place of agreement. All the people who had came to the upper room had listened to the instruction of Jesus and they were obedient to where uh, uh, he wanted them to be. And they were there in one accord. They were in total unity waiting for what God was about to deliver. These are important factors because we as the church as it says in, in, in the book of James, we can't be double-minded. We can't be uh, 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 doing things that our own way. We can't pick and choose the scriptures that we want to hold fast to. We've got to hold fast to all of it. And we have to come to that place in unity so that God can do what he wants to do. And in verse 2, it happened. It happened. What God, the promise of the Father happened. We have to understand that it is a historical fact that in verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire as one sat upon each of them. Now this is the, uh, the, the, the time when it talks about the tongues of fire coming upon them. But isn't it just stand to reason because we just read that Jesus will baptize in spirit and with fire. And in verse 4, they were all filled. Everybody say that, all filled. I hear this so much. Well, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I know it's for some people, but I just don't think it's for everyone. No, that's not true. It's not true. It didn't say, and Jesus would choose who he wanted to baptize in the Spirit. No, all of us who are willing to allow this to happen, he'll do it. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, how did this play out? 
How was how how was the the how were the disciples going to explain this? What was different now in 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 the the apostles? What was different be, from the time before they had received the the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, it didn't take long for the people to find out because the people were watching what was taking place and they were saying things like these guys got to be drunk. So there must have been some kind of un incredible joy that came upon them. Well, if you were the New Testament believers, if you were the 120, if you were wondering what was going to happen after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then it happened, what he said would happen, there would probably be an incredible joy that came over you. Amen? Listen, one of the things that I know the Holy Spirit does is he gives us joy to do what we need to do. I have personally been in the presence of people who have been persecuted beyond what most of us could ever bear. And when you watch them worship, there is a joy that overflows from them because they know who they are in Christ. They know that they walk in the power of the Spirit. They know that God is walking with them. Now, so how were they going to translate to the, this information to the people that were around them? What about the Jews that were still in conflict of who Jesus was? Well, God, God chose one person, the guy who denied Jesus three times to preach the first message. You see, it was impossible for Peter to stand the persecution that was coming upon him. There's one. He, you walked with Jesus. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, there were. There, Todd, you, we know that you are one of them. And, and David, you are too. No, we're not. No, we're not. Why would, they, why would Peter do that? Because he saw what was happening to his Savior, and he didn't want a dose of it. Something changed in him. What changed? Did he get some internal thing in him that rose up and said, I'll never do that again? No. What rose up in him was the Holy Spirit. What filled him was the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And so isn't it interesting that the first thing that Peter talked about to them came from the prophecy of the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, uh, he prophesies in, in 23 and to the end that this exact thing was going to happen. Why would he use an Old Testament prophecy? Because there were probably lots of Jews around there and he was trying to tie in the old with the new. He was showing them that this is what one of your guys prophesied. And so he was using that. But this is what was spoken in verse 17 by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. This is an interesting scripture here. Are we in the last days? Yes. Well, you might not know that. You might not have formulated a thought or opinion on that. But I'm trying to give you some revelation this morning to help you with that. Because... Hundreds of years before this happening, a prophet spoke of this happening. And this prophet said, it shall come to pass. What shall come to pass? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit will come to pass. And what will be the designation 
of the last days, this event. And it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Listen, this isn't just any outpouring. This is in times outpouring. God knew that the persecution and the, the dissension and the, 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 the people, who the, all the naysayers, they would come out of the woodwork during this time frame and they would not stop until Jesus came to rescue the church. When he came back in all of his glory, all of his honor, but in the meantime, he has called the church in the last days to prepare for him a bride. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that we are to strengthen the believers first so that then they have the strength to go out and carry out their ministries. Sunday morning is just that. That's all it is. It's a time to strengthen the church, to encourage the believers, to teach what, what Jesus has taught us in a way that will motivate us to do the things that he's called us to do. Are we in the last days? Are we in the last days? It shall come to pass in the last days. Says who? Jack Hayford? Joel Olstein, Rick Coolidge? No. It says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. We are in the last days. That I will pour out my flesh, or my spirit on all flesh. That your sons and your daughters, here's the differentiating factor. Nobody was talking about daughters doing any of this stuff. It's a different day. It's a different day. A different day. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see dreams. Your old men shall dream visions. And on my men servants and my maid servants. This is messing up Jewish theology. This is messing things up. I'm telling you what, when Jesus comes upon you and the Holy Spirit fills you, there's a good chance you're going to be messed up. I'm just telling you. And it ain't a bad thing. I'm not talking about messed up in the way that you can't function. No, you're going to be messed up because it's going to change the way you function. And it's going to be a good thing, a very good thing. Mm, this is so good. On my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those last days. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me and it lives inside of Tammy. It lives inside of Bill and it, and it lives inside of Kim. There is no respecter of male and female in, in any role that God wants to see in the New Testament church. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his first message that he preached after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the result of that is it says multitudes came to Christ. There was something that even the people saw. What they saw was an anointing. 
When the Holy Spirit begins to operate on a Christian in a ministry sense, there is that which rises from within them. The glory of the Lord shines upon them, and people know there's something different. But we can't put that under a bushel basket. We've got to remove that. These are the scriptures that talk. We've got to remove that basket so all the world can see God's glory shining through his believers. Now, did this happen anywhere else? That's a good question. Thank you for asking me that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. You guys ask the best questions. Acts chapter 8. Let's look at verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Hmm. The apostles heard that these guys received the word of God. How did they receive it? I'm not really sure. I'll, I could flesh that out. But this is interesting. They sent Peter and John, who when they had come down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, now wait a minute. They just, it just said that, that they had heard they had received the word of God. So, in other words, they, they knew who God was, and salvation was a part of that. But what they wanted to make sure was is that they had received the Holy Spirit. Why were they so concerned about that? For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. And they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus in water. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit. It must have been so amazing. Why? Because in verse 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles, uh, uh, through, uh, on the, uh, let me start that again. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given he offered them money, saying, give me this power also. How did he know there was power in that occurrence? Something happened. Something was visible. Something was amazing. It was in the same recognition of when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, 4. Something happened. People noticed. Okay? And then he said, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter rebuked him. This isn't about money. This is such a good point. It's not about position. It's not about any of these things. It's about God's destiny. And every one of you, rich or poor, young or old, black or white, no matter what you are or who you are, this destiny is yours as well. What an exciting thing. Men and women... Everybody, God's pouring out his spirit upon. And Peter is bringing correction to make sure people know that this is not about stature. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. We're getting there. We're getting there. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it happened. Come on now. This is, you know, what happened? This is where when you're reading your Bible, you ought to be like, what? What happened? And it happened. While Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, listen to what Paul wanted to know. He found disciples, and he could have asked them a hundred different questions. But what was the question? 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That was his question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when, they, when, when, when you believed? Listen to what they said to him. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, In what then were you baptized? So they said into John's baptism. They were on the right road. They were doing the right thing. They were, they were moving in the right direction. They had honored God in the place of water baptism. It was a real transformation that they had, totally real. And then Paul said these words again. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Okay, now we're, we're getting into the, theological uh, uh, revelation here. Okay? That's why Paul is saying, Don't, do not miss this point. This is important. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying, that saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. The same thing that was happening in Acts chapter 2 now again was happening in Acts chapter 19. These are not one-time occurrences. These have not ended somewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the portion for us because we are in the last days. When I read to you about Isaiah 59, 19, I read that to you to understand that when the enemy comes in like a flood, what God does is he raises a realm of protection around you that the Holy Spirit does in your life. Why? So that you can continue in the power that you need to do the work of the ministry. Now, I use the word ministry. You all have a ministry. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are baptized with a purpose. We know that Paul himself was baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9. Paul was a learned believer. To the place to where he thought these people that were coming in at the beginning of who he was, he was doing everything he could to, to damage the church and to hurt people who were walking in the faith. But when God touched him, something amazing happened. And it says in uh, Acts 9.17 that he too was filled with the Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says two things. Verses 5 and 8, he says this. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Paul's saying that in, 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 the, in the conversion and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is a prayer language that comes upon you. In verse 18... He says, I thank my God, and, uh, uh, and quite frankly, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he's saying, this needs to be a standard occurrence in your life. In Romans 8.28 or 8.26, it talks about we as believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, that the Spirit reveals and releases things to us that we don't even know about. In 1 Corinthians, Paul also says that as we walk in the Spirit, that the Spirit guides us into the deep manifestations 
of who God is. See, we're living in the last days. We can't live on, on just Old Testament manna alone because there's things that are going to happen in these last days that we are going to have to have the power to walk out and to do. So when you look at the, and, and I could have given you another 40 scriptures to allow this message to sink in a little deeper. But the reality is this, there is no way that we can say there's not two baptisms. It's clear. Even Paul said, what baptism were you baptized in? In that last text of scripture. Even Jesus confessed in Acts chapter 1 that John baptized in water, but he was the baptizer with the Spirit. And even John made confession to all of those who were looking to him for revelation. He even said, I baptize in water, but one comes after me who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So why? Why is the Holy Spirit the most argued about part of the Trinity. Well, I say to you, it's for this reason. The enemy is fully aware that we are in the last days. He's fully aware that the power that we received on the day of Pentecost was the power to keep him under our feet. And so what he wants to do is bring confusion. There is no confusion. Make no mistake about it. You are a vessel that God wants to pour out his spirit in. And as a matter of fact, he says, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the one that went in the tomb and said, time to get up. And just maybe that's the way I saw it. Jesus, we rolled away the stone, time to get up. And Jesus said, I'll be right with you. I have to fold my grave cloths. And then Jesus came out, that same spirit, folks, it lives in you. It lives in you. And when you allow the baptizer to baptize you, would you stand with me? And when you allow him to fill you, you can be as young as Gideon, or you can be as mature as Bill. It doesn't matter what age you are or, or, or all you are in between. Because all it demands of you is to say yes. To say yes. To say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And allow me to take my place in the New Testament church to do the things that you've called me to do. Now today, on Pentecost, it would be a huge mistake not to say, let's have a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need fresh wind. You know, I need that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. You know, the wind blows, you don't know where it comes, but we know it has an effect. How many of you know that when wind blows, you can see the leaves rustle? That's what Jesus was giving Nicodemus, a natural picture of a spiritual thing. When the Holy Spirit, the breath of, of God, when his spirit comes upon you, something happens. It's that you might not see it in the natural, but you know it in the spiritual. 
And so we would be amiss not to say, give me a fresh infilling. We would also be amiss to say, if you have never asked Jesus to baptize you in the Spirit, or you want to be baptized in the Spirit, we would be equally and worse off if we didn't offer it to you today. That would be crazy. So, like the Apostle Paul says, and I'm asking the Pastor Dwight is saying to you today, what baptism have you been baptized in? Were you baptized in the baptism of John? And most of you would say yes, and if you've not been water baptized, we want to take care of that for you. And though, if I went on to ask you, uh, have you then been baptized in the baptism of Jesus? What would your answer be? So I'm just going to say it to you this way. If you would like a fresh infilling, or you would like to be baptized for the first time in the Holy Spirit, just lift your hands up right now. Just make that recognition to God to say, hey, you know, I've never, I've never, I, I know the John deal. The pastor's telling me some stuff about the Jesus baptism now. And, and I want to make myself available for the Holy Spirit baptism. Now, when you say, gosh, I don't know if I want that. That's why I told you, write this down. Write this down. Because this isn't my idea. And see, if you are looking at this through, gosh, this is just what the pastor preached, you're looking at this the wrong way. This should be revelation on what Jesus said, what the Bible says, not what I, I'm, I'm convincing you of. The scripture should be the convincer of all things. So, Father, in Jesus' name right now, I ask, Father, for all of those who are willingly saying yes right now, I ask that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. I ask that you give them an Acts 2 encounter. I ask that you move upon their lives and that the revelation that we are walking in the last days and this is what you provide for us can be theirs. Now, I'm just going to ask you to right now just say, Father, fill me with your spirit. Just say it with your hands up. Father, fill me with your spirit. This has to be your invitation. Say, Father, fill me with your spirit. Give me everything the Bible says I can have. Help me to be that New Testament Christian that you've given me to be so that I can have the power to do your work in the last days. Jesus, I say yes to spirit baptism in the same way I said yes to water baptism. Jesus, I thank you that you haven't left me alone, that you have made me a vessel for your spirit to live in. And I choose today to be filled with your spirit. Father, today I ask for a fresh infilling of your spirit. Raise a standard around my life. In the places where the enemy has tried to come in, I say no to the enemy. And I say yes to you, Jesus. 
Thank you, God, for raising a standard in my life. Thank you, God, for empowering me to walk in these last days and to do the things you've called me to do. And today I say yes to my purpose, to my destiny, and to my empowerment. And I thank you, Father, that your promise is still available for me today. And I believe all of this because the Bible says it so. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time, I got good news for you. Something different's going to happen in your life. Something's going to begin to resonate. Some of you who might have prayed that for the first time, you're going to be in the middle of a worship service and you're just going to be praying in another language that you didn't even recognize because of that connection you're having to God in worship. Some of you who uh, uh, asked God to come into your life, we can pray for you at a further place. And we can, like Paul, lay hands on you and see the impartation of the Spirit come into your life and see those giftings begin to operate in and through you. But I want all of you to know today, this is the day we celebrate Pentecost. This is the day that Jesus chose to start the New Testament church and do the work through a bunch of people who did not have a blueprint. Look at the advantage that we have now. So it's our honor to be able to do his work. So if you would like more prayer, we're here for you to do that. And what I want to encourage you to do is take this grouping of messages and say, yes, Father, I want to see people's lives changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have an incredible day. And uh, allow God to do great things through your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.